Did that make sense? Yeah, the second totally. time I tried yeah, to say. I mean, if you yeah. think about the song "California Dreaming," that yeah. you know was part of the summer of love, that is, I think, what most people would probably first think about. They think about either the summer of love or they think about getting rich and famous. But those, the summer of love, is hearkening back to a much earlier view of the California Dream that was, you know, kind of agricultural pre-industrial in some ways and had much more to do with just what a beautiful landscape this state is and how it was still available and you could come out here and you could get an incredibly beautiful plot of land and take care of yourself when i think about opportunity when i think about the california dream i think much more in terms of self-sufficiency the ability to be self-reliant the ability to just make it without being extraordinary or having extraordinary advantage it's so funny because i think i had we not been having this conversation i would think exactly the opposite i would think i would think oh well california is so sure we would all love to live in a place where the weather's always good and the scenery's beautiful and all of the things. But how the hell are you going to live there? Because you can't afford it. And the only way that you're going to you do, do it is – and if you move there from Texas, then you got to get used to a whole different set of rules about things. And uh, and and how's anybody going to um, – how's anybody – like, like to, in my mind, it's like um, you have to have this, the, the – um, you know the exceptional situation you have to be in some special situation if you want to if you want to uh to go there and what you said was the opposite well i mean i think i think both points of view are right the reason antioch is branded around opportunity lives here is because it is unique and because everything you said is true in the rest of the bay area it's not true of the rest of the state it's not true everywhere but it would also be really disingenuous of me to say that today it's like it was in you know in Steinbeck's time it's not true sure. that you can yeah, move yeah, to the yeah. central valley and just sort of homestead your way to success people in central california have they're having a really tough time one of the yeah. reasons that there's so much energy in the republican party in central california i, I don't think it is philosophical i think it's practical i think it's because it's a very hard place and for many folks in many lines of work feels like an overly regulated overtaxed place to do what people want to do and that's very different from you know the california steinbeck wrote about but i want to pick up on another thread in what you said i think there's a megaphone effect today Mm. that's very different So when you hear about California, where are you hearing from? Most of what you're hearing about is coming from the Los Angeles basin in the form of media, and it's coming from San Francisco Bay Area in the form of tech. Right. When my grandfather moved to California from Texas, he moved because his mother's sister had moved out here and she wrote a letter talking about how nice Campbell was and that they should maybe leave Round Rock, Texas, which was pretty Mm. hard, and come to the orchards in Campbell, which were really nice. Now, the orchard he eventually came to is now a parking lot, literally, not figuratively, and it's part of Silicon Valley. All of those orchards are gone. It's just urban sprawl. But the more important point is back in the day, 
people didn't hear about California so much by megaphones as by one-to-one letters saying, hey, it's better here in this very specific way that yeah. you're looking for. Yeah. Come here. You know, it's just it's it's just a very different way of experiencing California or thinking about opportunity. Sometimes it's hard to, at least for me personally, to continue to acknowledge that because I get so irritated about all the bullshit that, like, all the new, like, ways that government wants to, like, stick their fingers into everything that's going on. Totally. But when you kind of hold it up to the, like, the big picture globally, we're still... Oh, the news just came out. Um, but it's a slippery slope, as they say. Absolutely. Well, the news came out last week that um, I think it was Indonesia. In fact, I know it was Indonesia that was going to enforce specific rules associated with being a Muslim nation. Yeah. So the government there has very much so said, we are a Muslim nation. We're going to operate this way. I'm not casting any stones at that, but the government has decided, decreed that this is the way it's going to be. At least in the United States, the system is set up in such a way that we can push back on that. As the voting population, we can push back on that. So we can- in Arizona. Everywhere else you can. But we can choose, right? By and large, we can choose who our representatives are, what the legislation is that we will entertain. And if the system gets off the tracks, we have an obligation and a responsibility and the opportunity to write it. In theory. Um, yeah, in theory. How much, how much do you think people, so if you, if, you, um, uh, if you went backward in time to my parents and your parents, uh, their generation, um, and, you, and you surveyed how many people just in general American society are aware like like that's 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 our role in this whole thing mm. right like what you just said probably more than than like how many people now ah, do you yeah. think that's really a, that's a beautiful question so oh, I actually want to go back to one of the episodes that you had with your your barber my barber Cosme Cosme, yeah, Cosme. so I thought it was a fantastic episode and one thing that you two talked about is being able to put your eyes and know, put your eyes on and know the enemy. And so the the statement that came out was, I think you asked Cosme, "Do we know who the enemy is?" And he said, "Well, you know, it's we can't see that person. We can't see that enemy now." Yeah. And I will argue, and and this is kind of a. It's funny. I don't remember this at all. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. welcome. The memory um, thing. Yeah. Yeah. But. Um, I would argue that we've seen the enemy and the enemy is us. Yeah. That's an old statement. But in fact, I would say that in order to save the dream. Yeah. Title of the podcast. Right. 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 We have to first look at ourselves and our immediate control. Right. So. I have to look at myself. Am yeah. I doing the right things? Am I owning up to that? Am I looking at my children and what what lessons I'm teaching them and instilling in them, values that I'm instilling in them? Are those the right values? Am I being truly introspective about that and showing up in a way that by conscious choice, I'm doing the things that I think are going to make a difference? And I think we've lost sight of that. Because I think your story is interesting, mm-hmm. um, and we didn't. You started talking about the book, 
So you wrote the book. We did. So that one's published, and that was uh, part one. And then uh, we're working on a second one. And that one is going to talk about um, the journey, right, from the motherland, right, Vietnam. And, you know, after the fall of Saigon, you know, there was a mass exodus of just people trying to leave, right? Yeah, yeah. And so from there, you know, our family had tried many times to escape. But you've got the Viet Congs that are, you know, at different checkpoints. And every time we tried... We had four attempts of trying to flee the country. And so has everybody who's come here, for, does, this is funny because I know lots and lots of uh, Vietnamese people, but is everybody still escaping? How are they, how's everybody getting here? I mean, it's, it's a lot more open now. Right, right? Like a, yeah. But, but, you know. But even in the 80s, you were. In the 80s, we were having to leave, right? Leave. And, and we were having to leave quietly. Right, because if they caught you and they knew this is what was happening, and people that had some savings and had some money, that's what they were doing. And they were like, you know, we can't stay in a country that's gonna be communist, take some of our, right. our rights away. Um, I mean, fast forward to where we are now, Vietnam's definitely a lot more open. Yeah. They're open to trade, and right, uh, right, this right. is the main thing. They're open to educating their citizens, which is, again, another pillar to you know, spawn some economic kind growth, right? It, right? So, but so, well, you guys made it in We made it by, by the grace of God, right? Yeah. I think we were on a boat and uh, my mom, this is maybe a spoiler alert, um, but in the story, we'll talk about basically how, you know, my brother and I were the only kids on that boat and there was probably about 30 people on the boat. And the only reason why we were saved because at that time there were all of these you know, little mini pontoon boats that were in the ocean, the South China Sea. And we were luckily saved by like a Norwegian. So you're not like uh, a big like. like no, boat, no. Like. I mean, at any point, like some people lost their lives because the, the boats capsized or they didn't have enough water. And uh, how far did just, you have to get on the little boat before you got to something bigger? I mean, those details are for my mom. I mean, she tells me these stories, and so I'm just retelling yeah. you from how I, mean, I know that I'm here, right? Yeah, so I mean, she, you're in the you're out <clears throat> in the ocean. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And she said that the the reason why we were saved was because the boat captain was like, you know, woman, put your your children on your shoulder, and you know, let them, you know, see us that we've got women and children, and uh, they might have a little bit of mercy and come yeah. and save us, right? Because again, we're we're just a bunch. We're a dime a dozen, a bunch of boats, just, and so. A boat stopped, and we were we were picked up, right? And this is this is how we ended up in Malaysia, not in Indonesia, for a few months before yeah. they processed all the paperwork so that we can come to Houston, um, yeah. right? So I remember Houston vividly um, in '84 because it was August 3rd, right before my uh, my fourth birthday, that I had arrived. Uh, and wow. that's what it said on my resident alien card. Yeah. And so I just, I'll, I'll always remember that. And so, there's pictures so of when. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but you remember it. I, I, I remember mean, I remember, but I mean, sometimes some things just impact you so much. Yeah, that, sure. That you remember. Sure. So <laughs> I, like, I personally would want the freedom. And, and I try to, there's this thing called the Stanislavski method. All right, so for your intellectual viewers out there, the guy who created what like modern day empathy is all about when you put yourself in somebody else's shoes yeah. is this uh, psychologist called Stanislavski. But so I try to put myself like 
if American had a despot dictator in power, I'd want the I'd want to flee with my family or fight, right? But if if I felt like fighting for our freedom for a revolution wasn't sustainable or winnable, I'd want to take my two young kids who aren't old enough to shoot a gun yet. I'd want to get on a boat and go somewhere better. Yeah. And when I got to those shores, I wouldn't want anything except the freedom to go try to rent an apartment or even live on the streets, right? And wash windows or whatever I had to do to make a living. So I try to put myself in their shoes, but I also wouldn't want anything in return from the government. Like you don't owe me anything because I fled my own country Mm. to come to yours. You don't owe me anything. Just let me be. How do you know that's their perspective? Do you really feel like they are feeling entitled or I do they feel are. like they're just escaping but but i'm not generalizing you are. countries I, right i'm not generalizing yeah. i'm saying i don't know what they're living in yeah. <laughs> i i don't know what their perspective is i'm saying what our policy perspective should be is like hey come one come all no free shit that's what i'm saying i it's it's okay right <laughs> yeah. i think i'm i'm not in disagreement about that right i want people to feel like they've got to go through and do the right things just like anybody else does right going through and if you feel like you really need uh, benefits at least for the initial moments of of trying to settle in and figuring out your way like I mean, this happens, right? We were on food stamps, there's right? A, yeah, and we a, were. But you applied for them, and I'm not right, saying there exactly, shouldn't be. I'm not right. saying there shouldn't be a program and we to didn't apply stay, for it, right? But you shouldn't automatically because you cross the border. And I don't know. Be entitled to anything? I yet, don't know if people are right assuming that necessarily, right? They just. I think there's yeah. So there's like two different kinds of free shit, right? So there's there's like, hey, like I just got here. And I'm freezing cold and hungry. I could really use like a blanket and some that's food. Right. Right? That's right. That's right. Like that's like I'm like that's good. But the whole like like put me like, up in housing and like, like as a way right. Of well, life. I mean, you're right. I, I definitely yeah. don't agree with how some of these hotel, um, you know, like in in Manhattan, for instance, the mayor was putting homeless people into like blocks of hotel rooms. Yeah. And stuff like that, right? Which I heard well, about. Was and I was just like, that's left crazy. You take these kids on these international trips. Mm-hmm. So, like, what happens when they well, go there? It's really places? interesting because... What do you I, see happening? What I see is them... It you. It's almost like a light bulb moment where they get it. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, it. I see now that... that that in this country we live this way, right. but over here people live like this. And I also think um, one of the things that I try to get them to understand is how very fortunate we are to live in this country. Yeah. Um, because we have exponential wealth in this country compared to a lot of other places. Yeah. Um, But our culture is also driven by different things. You know, you go to Europe and people don't watch TV the amount that we spend in front of the television. Right. At all. Um, They watch a lot of American TV because they don't produce the kind of TV that we produce here. Well, you know, they only do like six episodes in a season and then it's over. It's over. You know, then what are you going to watch? Right. You know, um, when you go, when you, when you go to France and you go out for, if you go out to dinner for an evening, that is the event of the evening. The whole evening. Yeah. That is the whole evening because it takes hours to get through all those courses and that in of itself is an event. We're here for us to go out to eat. It's just a, a portion of what our evening might be. 
Right. Well, and we go out to eat just for for just because that's just how we get food. That's just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how we get food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you know how you know we all, especially here in Texas, we have elbow room. I mean, our houses are large. Oh, yeah. Are they're spaced far apart? You know, you go to Europe, and 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 I have this happen even for me. You know, by the end of the thirty days that I may be there, I'm starting to feel a little confined. I need a little elbow room. Yeah. Um, and I remember the first time I stood on the sidewalk and looked at a cafe in Paris, and thought, "I don't even know how I'm supposed to get in there to sit in that chair." That's you know all the you know on the side mm-hmm. all the all the tables lined yeah. up and the chairs, and I'm thinking, you know, and there's people sitting here and people sitting here and people sitting there. And there's and and there's an opening right there, and I yeah. thought, I don't know how the hell am I even supposed to, but yeah. then. But but you do. You like do. You just sort of like do you this thing where and, you get and, through, which is well, we're not used to doing that. We're here. not used to that. And we they're very used to, you know, bumping into each other and pardon me, excuse me, you know, pardon me, pardon me. And you climb all over and whatever. They're used to that where that's, you know, that kind of crosses our boundaries a little bit. Like if you're like here, if you're in church and like somebody's got to get out the pew because, you know, mm-hmm. like... It's a really awkward situation. It's like, very like, awkward. Do I go this way? Do I stand up? Like, what do exactly, I like? Exactly. You know, and try and we not cannot touch each other. And, right. And if you're, and if I'm the one that's trying to sneak out, mm. right? Like, I have to. You know, you don't want to like touch do, anybody. And do I go like with my front facing the people, or do I go with my back? Like, do they yep. get to see my butt go by, or like what's? <laughs> yeah. Like, what's yeah. yeah. The, in what's Europe, the protocol here? They don't, I don't worry know about what the any of that is. in, no. in Europe. No. 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 Oh. And they're all bunched together, and it's and 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 they're very used to it. And I, one of the things I have not been to uh, any of the Asian countries, and that it's a goal for me mm. because I am I'm one of those people that my my personal bubble is kind of big, you know, I'm like, nah, back up, Jack. But, but <laughs> I want to go over there where they literally are yeah. on your six all the time. I mean, yeah. they, and they live on top of each other and they, you know, they live with many, many generations in one small apartment. Um, and I'm very intrigued by that. In the business world, we accept this problem of scaling as a given. Scaling is difficult. Scaling is hard. And at a certain certain size, it becomes untenable, right? So why do we not? But when it comes to government structures and organizations, we seem to forget that that things work better when they're smaller. Mean and mean. Yeah. So... Oh, we don't forget. It's just, uh, you know, now it's a monster and uh, it's hard to control it. It's got, yeah, yeah. But um, so, but that's why. So, when it comes to the global free market stuff, the reason why I kind of tend to think, and some of the events that have happened in the last couple of years, point at this. I tend to think maybe it's better if you guys stay over there and figure your oh. shit out, and we'll stay over here. I don't, I don't. I don't necessarily mean in little tiny pods, but let's not try to turn the whole globe. Let's not try to unite the whole thing economically when we're a real long way because none of the other stuff, all the other economic stuff doesn't work global on a global scale. Like we have problems. We get into fights with each other. We have wars and we have things that, and we have these half-assed organizations that are trying to like the World Economic Forum and all these people who somehow know what's best for the world. So by, t- by, by connecting our economy into all of that uncertainty, 
you're just asking for trouble. I think. Well, trade is either good or bad, so you can't have it halfway. So let's let's take let's take your solution to its ultimate state. Yes. You and I are not allowed to do any trade with anybody. So now I've got to raise my own food. I got to make my own clothes. I got to build my own house. I got to drill my own oil well. That ain't good. The whole point of the modern economic system is whoever is the most efficient should do it. But but are the are the only two options either everybody drills their own oil well or the entire world is interconnected economically like is there nothing in the middle i'm just saying if it, if an idea is good it's good and i think it is i i'm i believe that if uh in some small country on the other side of the world if they're extremely good at whatever they should be the ones that are doing that and they should benefit from it but all of that is a very different philosophy than like the the system or the government needs to needs to like turn the dials and spin the wheels to try to cause everything to to come out a certain way for people. Which, I don't think the government needs to do anything. I think the gov the the less government, the better. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, but but that's but there's a lot of people who like that's what the argument is about, right? Like the argument is kind of in the public square. The mm -hmm. argument is. Well, the government should be doing this or shouldn't be doing that or, or, or this. But but I've yet to have anybody come – like everybody who tells a story about people who who have done well in some regard, like it's never because – it's always because of something they did for themselves or the church helped them or somebody helped – or like something. It's always at that grassroots level. So I was at a – I was having lunch with a client of mine the other day, and um, he successfully owns a, a company – couple companies but his main one's a construction company and um we were talking about ppp right the the, yeah. mo the money that they got and he and we were talking about the current that economy that you don't have to pay back yeah, yeah. so uh and and he even stated that him he himself right and his company they got comfortable yeah right they got comfortable he he saw a, a lower level of work Right, even on himself, meaning he woke up with less hunger because they they got really good for a little while of asking. You know, the government kept saying, "Hey, let me give you some money," and they were like, "Sweet." Yeah. And then they were like, "Hey, you can get another round of PPP," and they're like, "Sweet." And so I know people you're going with this. got yeah, in this yeah. big habit. And so yeah. here, but by but less so, hunger, you mean less so, less business hungry? You don't yes, mean, less yeah. bi less business yeah. hungry. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. like his, his drive. I mean, here's a guy who is already wealthy. Right. Yeah. But he still woke up hungry every day and then he got offered free money and he said, well, I'm going to take that. And he got lazier. And it's crazy how fast it happened. Just like yeah. that. Yeah. So if you take that all the way to that level to a guy who, who woke up and never felt like he had enough to all of a sudden you hand him free millions of dollars to put into his company bank account. Not that it wasn't qualified because they were they obviously they you know, he's not going out and spending on like Lambos and stuff. I mean, he used it for the company. It was needed to weather the storm, right? They, I mean, God knows nobody knew whether your business was going to thrive or not. We bounced back out of that relatively quick. And I don't know if that could have happened without yeah. pumping that money into the economy. But my point is, is those government checks came and people acted different. Even successful yeah. That's a really, entrepreneurial, yeah. That's a real capitalistic thing. individuals who own million dollar companies woke up that day and did less. Because they got a free check. Motivated and mm -hmm. less. So right. what would what? Yeah. So again, now listen. Yeah. There are people who need the, the government help, right? There are people who who who, in my opinion, they're in difficult situations, and they're in situations that perhaps they grew up in, and they can't, you know, like, uh, I mean, for example, 
uh, people that are on Social Security, people that are on Medicare. I mean, there, there are people who are in really tough situations that I, I absolutely feel like we should provide support for. But to create the expectation that mm-hmm. when, yeah. when, when shit ain't working right for yeah. me, don't worry, the government's got it. Right, right. Like, that's a really dangerous place to be in my opinion. It's, it's like this attitude of some, like, and kind of what we were talking about earlier, when somebody, like, if somebody needs to help this person, somebody needs to help that person. But what I feel like our country's run into, especially since COVID, is a sense of entitlement instead of, you know, kind of picking yourself up by your bootstraps or at least going out and putting 80 to 90% effort into something. And then maybe the one thing my dad always raised me the one saying my dad always raised me on was, you'll get out of it what you put into it. Yeah. And nobody puts, yeah. people stop putting effort into things. Yeah. And it doesn't help when the, you know, it, it just, this. I think the entitlement issue has really changed the name of the game of, of the social climate that we're in right now. And we also have to, uh, we also have to um, acknowledge that there's generational shifts that are happening. There's a little bit of a nuance though in what you said, which I think it's good um, mm-hmm. because on the one hand, you have this notion of a work-life balance, which mm-hmm. is more of an entitlement kind of thing. Like you, I want to make, I want you to make sure that you only, like you give me, don't give me more work mm-hmm. than, than I can do without, without infringing on my work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which is, and what you said is, um, um, like you never said I'm not working my ass off. Yeah. Right. What you said is I'm working to get the lifestyle that I want. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and you do whatever it takes to do that. Yeah. And then if it, if it, right. But do you ever think you should be like, like, like if you asked me for advice, I'd give you some advice on mm-hmm. what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it just comes down to people's values. Like, and I think everyone has slightly different values and what's important to them. And, it shifts with our age groups, you know, a lot of people in their 20s, they're doing college or they're working hard or they're dating or they're going out and they're bar hopping every night. Or maybe you realize you're more introverted and you want to stay home. It's like, I, I think it just kind of depends like on the lifestyle they want. The only thing that ever bothers me is when young people don't take responsibility for the situation they're in and don't realize that like their life is because of the choices they made and the habits that they have. So it's like, if you want to have like my situation where you have a good job, you have like the work-life balance that people want. And like, you have to put in a certain type of work to get to that point. Like you're not just automatically That's can't crazy just ask talk. for it. And I know the crazy <laughs> thing is, is that I am young and I, I'm very content at a young age with the job I got, but it's because I have a unique skill set. I'm an engineer degreed on paper, but I also have people skills. And that's something you can't always teach engineers. So am I lucky? No, because I worked really hard for the engineering degree, but you have to have something that makes your skills special if you want to have a cushier job at a younger age. And some people don't have that and they don't want to work the extra hardness that they have to work to compensate, to be in a better position. And that's fine. But like, the only thing that ever annoys me is when people complain about the job they have, but they're not doing anything to change it. Why is there so many people in the world today and all not not just the not just the screaming activists that are, you know, doing crazy things, but um, people, people in corporate, people in industry, people in politics, people, you name it. Everybody's like throwing in 
with this, um, with the notion that all we got to do is just like build more, build more wind farms, build more, uh, what's the other thing? Solar. Yeah. Solar build more solar panel. panels. <laughs> we, you know, um, and, and, and turn off all these coal plants and, and just do all the shit that, uh, we just need to do it faster so that we can get there faster. So, so this is, this is two different like views, right? So on the one hand, we got, uh, you can't get that from here over here. You got like lemmings to the sea. So how, why, why do, why are so many people convinced that, that you can get there and all we have to do is just hurry up and get there? There's a handful of reasons in my opinion. Now, Michael, I'm still trying to figure this out quite simply. I had a podcast that failed because all the, I couldn't get all the people that say they hate the oil and gas industry on the show to talk about oh, it. Oh yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so one thing is the anti-fossil fuel movement has done a wonderful job of marketing what they do. I will give them total street cred for that, right? Um, yeah, it's almost like it's a given. Like, people don't even question it anymore. Like, people don't even sit around going, we're not even debating. Like, we've skipped over the debate about whether it's necessary and if it's possible. And we've just gone right on to that this is what we're doing. Yep. At the same time, the oil and gas industry, and I'll take ownership of this, has done a horrible job talking about the facts of what we do, talking about the benefits we bring to mankind, the fact that you can harvest hydrocarbons responsibly. How about this for your listeners? The fact that hydrocarbons are still being made. You don't hear that anymore, right? Not at the same rate at this Jurassic and Pleistocene area, but right now here in the Gulf of Mexico, hydrocarbons are still being made. Um, you don't, the oil and gas industry has done a horrible job of, of educating the world. And then quite simply, um, there's a cultish element about it. And there always has been. You look at things that things like... Um, uh, SARS, uh, bird flu, uh, killer bees, the hole in the ozone. As you went through time, you had all these global catastrophes, which, by the way, none of them ever happened. Right. right? But people bought into it. Um, and there's a, they say, there's a psychological reason for that. I don't know what it is. I'm not a psychologist. Um, but there's a reason that people want to have a, a joint belief in something, whether it's based on science or not. And then what happens is you end up getting that crowd mentality. Like, well, everybody knows the article will be ice Street by 2013, Right. So everybody buys into that. Now, did the Arctic become ice-free in 2013? No, right? But and actually, the Arctic ice is actually growing. Uh, people don't understand the science. So th that's that's one of the reasons is the fact that people don't understand the science. The anti-fossil fuel people have done an excellent job at marketing stuff. The oil and gas industry have done a horrible job at educating the public. Um, and then you have this psychological component, which I can't figure out myself, that people want to believe in that. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, I, I don't get it. Yeah, it, me neither. And, and when things don't turn out the way that everybody predicts, nobody ever goes back and says, and like recalibrates. There's that, and then there's also a component I've noticed lately that, I, once again, I can't quite figure out why, but there's an anti-human component of this. Like there's something wrong with being... A, a, a homo sapiens there's something wrong with mankind and the only way we can make the world right is for mankind not to have any impact we're a product of nature yeah <laughs> we're as natural we follow the same rules of physics and chemistry as other every other life form on this planet um, there's a lot of things that other life forms do way better than we do uh, we just happen to collaborate really well communicate really well and build stuff really well but this guy bastiat he just reels it all back to a very simple view yeah which is that um uh the purpose of the law is to do collectively what each person would do for themselves yeah which is defend their own life liberty and property 
And yep. I don't I don't remember if I came up with this analogy or or if I heard it somewhere. Uh, but the way I like to look at it is, let's say 50 of us landed on an island, and uh, and now we have to determine, you know, who owns what property, how we're going to pr- make sure that those that property is protected properly to the proper owner. Uh, so basically, we land on this island, we all claim a territory, so we each have our own property. Now, how do we make sure that as a unit, a unified group of people? That we're making sure that everything is protected our individual rights uh my right to property my right to liberty and then where the government in my opinion spoils becomes bad is whenever the majority or a group of those people or even just a small portion of those people now decide we want what that other person has and we're going to turn the government around to where it starts taking away from people we use it right yeah. And he calls it uh, legal plunder. Yep. Right. Yeah, that's a great term. Legal so, plunder. So, um, um, well, and it's interesting. It's a good analogy because what you're describing actually kind of did happen. It was called the Jamestown colony, right? Yeah. And I think it was Jamestown, one of them. Yeah, I'm not sure to be where, honest with you. But. Where the first year they decided that, so they did all land essentially, not on an island, but on a, on a foreign shore. Yeah. And here we are, and we got to make a go of it. And the first year, they all decided that they were going to sort of take a collective approach and everybody's going to, we're all going to work and share everything amongst ourselves. Yeah. And um, and they all almost starved to death. Yeah. And they were all, I'm com- starting to remember that now. They, they were all complaining that this guy didn't do any work and his kids are eating my food and that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like humans do, right? Yeah. And, and so the next year, they're like, Everybody for themselves, you every, which is the individual responsibility that he talks about, right? That yep. like, and and once they said, okay, everybody take every, each person take care of themselves, then uh, they flourished. They did great. Yeah, the free market. Works. And the only thing they yeah. needed was now government to prevent, like, if any of them were bad people, to prevent them from stealing from other people or yep. hurting or profiting by somebody else's loss. Yep. And that was all the government needed to do. And that was, and that's what Basia calls the law, um, uh, which is the law is justice, which justice is really the, like, is really the negative. It, like justice is the lack of injustice, right? Yeah. So we, so the, all the law needs to do is what you and I would do for ourselves, which is defend our life. Property. Yep. I just wanted you to know that I was paying attention when I yeah. read the book. Yeah, so, um, so, uh, so that, like, that's that's radically simple thinking. Yeah, and our founders copied it in the Constitution. Uh, you know, originally, so we go back to 1776. They wrote the Declaration of Independence. I heard of that. And uh, and they started the Continental Congress. I think it, it got was stolen one time too. I don't know if you know about that. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, Nicholas Cage. But uh, so <laughs> around 1775 was the uh, the first Continental Congress that they formed together. Right. Uh, basically. It was not a recognized government because they're basically usurping the, uh, or usurping, how do you say that? The uh, the kings, they're they're usurping the king's uh, authority and right. creating their own government and getting together saying, hey, here's how we're going to operate. 1776, they wrote the declaration. Thomas Jefferson mainly wrote it. And, uh, and his is a better version of what they actually came out with. They changed some of his wording in it. But... Uh, but, you're only saying this because you're. I remember you said you're a Jeffersonian Republican. I am a Jeffersonian Republican. Yeah, and so, let, uh, so let, let's get to what that means exactly. But okay, uh, yeah. Uh, but you know, they had the Continental Congress meetings. Uh, you know, we actually had I think eight presidents before George Washington, as far with the Continental Congress, and then they eventually 
uh, come together at the Philadelphia Convention. We now call it the Constitutional Convention. Mm-hmm. And they debated, uh, I think it was for months, or I can't remember how long it went, but basically like, hey, here is what we're going to decide is what government looks like and the proper roles it has. And they created a federal government, which means that that government was limited to only what was in that, what I call the contract in the Constitution. And it states, here's what the federal government can do. And then when they wrote, added the Bill of Rights to it, and thank God they did, because they almost didn't, uh, when they added that to it, the Tenth Amendment said anything not within this Constitution is left up to the states. Right. So now you designated, you have this... That one's not advertised very much. No, no, days. they don't. Yeah. yeah and <laughs> don't, uh, yeah. But you had this, in my opinion, this almost perfect federalist government that was limited to certain things. And then it was left free will up to the states outside of that, what they could do. All right, so this is actually about... Uh, Senseless leisure or leisure for my British friends. Mm. Basic income and art. Now, this is written from the perspective of of uh, singularity, right? Tech, you know, eventually AI and uh, uh, and shit like that takes over. All will displace work for the vast majority of individuals, um, and you know, humans just aren't useful anymore. So that's why we got to have, and, and so what this article is really about is, um, you know, why people are saying, well, we're going to have to have basic, wh- or what's it called? Income? What's the income thing? Basic, not basic income, but universal basic income, universal income where you just show out and float like, around in a lazy boy. We're gonna, like, you can't do work anymore because it's all being done by the machines. So we just need to give you money. Right. And, 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 th- and here we go. This is what happens. This is what happens to us. <laughs> there it is. And, uh, um, yeah, and that picture. So I remember when I when I saw Wally. When did Wally come out? Like I don't know. It was early two thousands. Early two thousands. Um, when I saw that picture, uh, um, I thought. When I mean, when I saw the movie, I thought this is like so. Like you could see this happening. Yeah, you can actually see the the path. Like that's right. where we're at. Now, will we be floating around in spaceships? And, you know, visiting planets. And I think it happens way before that. I mean, we already got people floating around on Lazy Boys. It's just <laughs> well, all you know, day. If you, if you all look day at that, not doing anything. You, you know, you look at that picture, and those are basically iPads that are in front of their yes. face, right? Yeah. Like, and if you remember in the movie, they don't even, and this came up on a, on a recent episode where I mentioned this, and who was it, Trev, that, like, squealed? Because she was like, I've been saying the same thing about Wally. Um, I think it was, maybe it was uh, uh, Blair Lee. But, um, yes. yeah, it was her. You can see it, right? Like, they don't even know that there's a pool, a swimming pool. They don't even know there's a swimming pool. Because their whole world happens here. And mm-hmm. when they talk to each other, they're talking to each other <laughs> through the screen. Yeah. Like, that sounds, that's, we're there. We're there. We're there. The only, the only difference is we're not necessarily sitting next to each. Now, I don't know, because I see a lot of couples in restaurants, and you see them, and they both got the phone, mm-hmm. right? And you wonder, like, are they talking to each other, like, on the phone? Sometimes I will text my wife during it, because that's the only way I can get her to actually see, <laughs> hey, I'm here. This is your husband. I'm across the table from you. Can you put the damn phone down? <laughs> 16, 17 years old. 
18 years old, yeah. lack of ambition, yeah. lack of what are you going to do with your life? Yeah, that's a weird thing I don't understand. I, I, I'm still having a hard time yeah. as a parent uh, wrapping my head around that. Like, I, I, I felt like I grew up in a neighborhood and a place that even, I mean, it wasn't well off. We weren't broke by any means, but, you know, pretty middle income, you know, pretty basic Houston suburb, if you right, will. Right. Um, but, like, I felt like everybody around me wanted to be somebody and, yeah. and do something and had, you know, big dreams about, right. like, hey, I want to grow up and be this or chase, you know, a lot of it was built around athletics for me because that's the environment I was in. But even then, like, everybody had goals and ideas of where they wanted right. to go. But now, you know, you do run into a lot of kids that just don't have it. Like, they, what do you want to be when you grow up? I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. Like they don't, and, and you're talking just, about now. You ask a you ask a 13 year old boy, what do you want to be when you sure. grow up? And whatever he says, you can figure yeah. that's not going to be it, right? Yeah. With, with the exception of those ones that really have a like, a, yeah, a really like a hook on something. Yeah. But most of the time, you're going to yeah. change your mind 50 times. But by the time you get to be like, I remember like when we were, you know, we're seniors in high school, and people are talking about where they're going to go for to college and where they, mm. what they're going to major in. And, and mm. of course, everybody changed their major three times sure. after they went to school. But the point is, like, you were thinking about it. Yeah. You were still stupid, and you didn't really yeah. know how the world works. Yeah. But, like, you were thinking about that. And now, from what it seems like, and I don't have teenagers in my house anymore, mm. but some of the things that I was I was reading, it sounds like, um, like this guy in the article mm. uh, that we looked at first, they moved back to Somalia, like, the, the boy was basically just, like, all he wanted to do was smoke pot and play video games all yeah. night long. Yeah. And, and that was it. He also, he had some ambitions about being, like, a fashion designer and some other stuff, and that drove his father crazy because his father was a tradition. Well, here, that's part of the problem. Yeah. I, again, I, I'm always coming back. I, you know, I, I give kids the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I do think in so many instances they're products of the environments and the adults around them. And so I think there's a certain level of, you know, standard and expectation that I have as a parent that I'm I'm not willing to let go of. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, what I've learned as my kids have gotten older is that I have to broaden my view of what success might look like for them. Mm -hmm. And mm. that's a good point. You know. You talk about, oh, he wants to be a fashion designer. Well, what's wrong with that, right? Nothing. Whereas before, you know, 50 years ago, you're not going to be a fashion designer. You're going to yeah. go to school and be, you yeah. become a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher, you know, all the right. things, the respected profession, you know. But, like, my kids will tell me now, well, I can learn more on YouTube than I can going to this class or going to – and in some cases, that's actually true. Yeah, yeah. Like, I give them a lot of crap because they watch a lot of mindless stuff on YouTube for sure. Um, but – one of my kids like built an entire computer just from watching YouTube videos. Like literally <laughs> built, like for Christmas, what do you want? I want these computer parts. They're like, well, let's just go to Best Buy and buy a computer that'll actually work. And when it breaks down, then yeah. we can take it back and get it fixed. No, 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 no. I want to build my own. Uh, yeah. And it it it's probably the best computer we have in our house. Yeah. <laughs>